how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against some churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical than they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And today, this episode is called Old Church, New Church, Red Church, Blue Church. And (laughs) I was thinking about doing this episode the past couple weeks, and I haven't gotten around to sort of taking the time to bring it together. But in the midst of waiting to do it, I just somehow, I don't know how that is with one-liners and aphorisms, and I'm a words person. I love words. My whole life in one sense is words, speaking and writing. And that title for this just came to me, Old Church, New Church, Red Church, Blue Church, obviously drawing from Dr. Seuss. And I was like, well, obviously that has to be the title now. And before I get into this, I just announced on my birthday, which was a little bit over a week ago, that my second book, The Joy of Letting Go, How One Thing Has the Power to Change Everything, is coming out January 3rd with my great publishers, Choir Publishing. And yes, I think one of the lines I have on there I use for the press releases, you know, the purpose of the book is to show people that letting go isn't one thing we do. But letting go is that which maintains the flow of everything we do. So it's me saying how letting go is required in order to do everything in our life that matters well. So whether it's creativity, justice, being present, I can't remember what all what all the different having compassion, all every different chapter is it's about compassion or creativity or justice, and it's showing how there are things we need to let go of along the way in order to not only stay committed to keep doing that thing, but also to maintain and sustain joy while we're doing it. So it's me saying letting go is always beneath the surface of everything we do. And so often, if we feel stuck, frustrated, we're in some place like that, Oftentimes, there is some form of letting go that is required to move forward. So I'll, I'm going to start going on other people's podcasts like I did for the first book. So I will be on other people's podcasts the next two or three months like I was for The Making of a Mystic. So wanted to share that now. Really excited for it. think maybe the writing in the second book is better than the first. The first one's so special, but I, I, I'm just really proud of and really happy with how the second one turned out. So I will keep everybody here in the loop to know more about that. Now, for this episode, Old Church, New Church, Red Church, Blue Church. This was, I believe, inspired by and sort of catalyzed by a conversation that I had with a friend of mine. And the conversation I had with a friend gave me a chance to share with him a lot of my thoughts on 
old churches, new churches, people trying to find church, people trying to stay in church, people growing beyond their church and the naming of the hard parts of it, the naming of the tensions, the struggles of it, and, you know, perhaps finding hope within all that and trying to find a way forward. So this is like a glimpse into that conversation, but also just into thoughts I've had and things I've thought about for a long time when it comes to this. So here's, I'll give you, first let's start with the conversation. A friend of mine and his wife recently went back to an old church of theirs, right? So it was a church my friend was a part of, you know, for years, I think left for a while and then recently visited and maybe considered attending again. And he's tells me about it, you know, it's good or whatever. And then at some point in the sermon, it wasn't, the sermon was not about same-sex attraction. The sermon was not about uh, LGBTQ plus folks and the church and their role or anything like that. But the pastor made this one-off comment statement about marriage being between male and female and just kind of ran through it and kept going. And my friend who spent enough time around church, here's that. And it essentially, that one short line is sort of symbolic for a much larger way of thinking and seeing, which is a evangelical church communicating traditional, conventional ways of understanding the church's relationship with the LGBTQ plus community, which is Hey, we're going to love, it's some version of we're going to love and welcome you the best we can, but if you push us on this or we're going to say we think same-sex relationships are a sin and as a result of us believing people live in sin, if they're in, you know, same-sex relationships, there's going to be limitations on their participation in the church. They don't, people don't say that, but that's how churches operate. So you probably can't, I don't know, preach or lead on the worship team. Maybe you can. Um, the pastors are not going to marry you if you, if you and your partner decide to get married. And so my friend hears that comment that brings up, it takes him back to this whole way of thinking that he has grown beyond that's what happens to some people. We cracks in the surface, evolving, path getting wider. And what happens is we start to grow and evolve and change and move beyond the settlement, the the place of stagnancy or just the traditional place that our church has been in. And my friend goes back, has this experience I'm sure it's like, you know, it's a bummer. It's maybe depleting, a little discouraging. Like, are we really still saying that? And it just leaves him in this frustrated place, right? How many people here have ever had a moment like that? You hear an old pastor you respect. You go to a church you were once a part of. You talk to old friends who were a part of these churches and certain things are said, language is used, Phrases are uttered that take you back to a place that say, well, a part of me misses that. That is why I can no longer go back there. And even specifically for my friend, that's where a lot of people are at now, right? Old church, new church, red church, blue church. 
the simple fact is there's a lot of people who are in a place that are, that are just very clear about we're no longer going to churches that are not welcoming and inclusive of my LGBTQ siblings. I'm not going there. I refuse. My own integrity and alignment as a Christian prevents me from being a part of communities that have this systemic form of discrimination against LGBTQ people. And I, so many people are like, I, I'm not going to those kinds of churches, period. That is an increase, I believe, and assume that is an increasing reality for a lot of people today. So that's sort of the story, right? We're talking about that. Now, from from that story, all kinds of different dynamics in church and growing personally in communities come into play. And I'm going to take a drink before I start to talk about what some of those things are. So we start talking about all of these different things. And I here, here's right this 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 podcast, this episode has nothing to do with answers. It has nothing to do with an exact way forward. It's more of a broader zooming out naming of the struggle a lot of people experience who are growing beyond the old but not yet feeling at home in a new church. So here's what happens to it. So you might resonate with some of these more than others, maybe some none at all, maybe some completely. So when my friend and I are talking, here's one of the things I talk about for the struggle with people like my friend or for so many folks right now. Let's say a person who who feels more at home and their tradition is more of a standard <clears throat> evangelical, low church, meaning not liturgical, maybe charismatic, you know, kind of a maybe kind of mega churchy, maybe not in terms of its size, but. You know, you know the culture, it's a sensibility, it's a vibe, right? It's they're playing Hillsong music and they, you know, have stages and they have great sound systems and there's great lights and the production value is very high and it's very conservative and evangelical, but maybe it's kind of cool, right? It's kind of a something that feels like that. There's a lot of different versions of that. I mean, those are the first churches I was really a part of. That's why I understand it. And one of the things I see happening to people is people are sort of comfortable with the overall vibe because it's like growing up in a house. That's your house. That's your home. These are the songs you're used to. These are the sounds that are familiar. This is your, this is your native language. You speak the, 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 the language pattern to the community. This is the vibe, you know, so it's like growing up in a home. It's like a family system. You're used to it. You're comfortable with it. But people start to grow theologically. People's consciousness starts to evolve. They move through stages of faith. And they are less and less aligned with the actual substance of what this church believes and how they live. So they're becoming more, this person's becoming more progressive. They're changing more. Their views of justice is changing. Their view, maybe they're thinking more about institutionalized forms of white supremacy and race. And, and they're thinking about justice. They're thinking about who we vote for. They're thinking, oh, it could be, there's so many, they're thinking about doubting certainty and what does it mean to believe? And any of these things can be a, a part of the reason why a person starts to grow beyond change and no longer fully fit. 
So one of the struggles is a person might say, I can no longer out of my own integrity and alignment be a part of this church that's exclusionary, that's, I don't know, can far right in ways that make they feel is incompatible with their understanding of the gospel, etc. And so that person can find other churches in their in their broader area that they're more theologically aligned with, right? Let's say they go to a progressive, like a progressive mainline Episcopalian church. You go to this Episcopalian church and there's, you know, a woman priest who's leading. And not only is she a woman, but she's a lesbian and she's, she's been out and she's open about it. And she's great and she's smart and she's brilliant. And she's leading this community and you see their theology and how they view God in reality. And the person I'm describing is more aligned with that. You might agree with them more. You might sort of find yourself. Yeah. Like I'm there with you more about how we're talking about God and humanity, but a part of the tension a person might experience with that is they're like, but the maybe they struggle with the liturgy and high church and it feels like mass and I don't feel at home here. And it's hard for me to feel like I'm connecting with God because I'm used to a different kind of worship and the symbols are different. The flow of the worship is different. And a person might say, I'm less aligned theologically with my old church but I'm more at home with the vibe there and I'm more aligned theologically with this new church, but the vibe, the, the liturgy as a whole was really tough for me. I don't connect with it. And I'm not offering any judgment on anybody for any of these things. I'm just naming some of the realities. So that can be really hard for some people because it's like, these are great people, but I don't feel at home here. It doesn't help. These practices don't help connect me or ground me in the same way. These old practices are old ways of at least doing Sundays did that can be really confusing or hard for people because the person who grew up, especially if it's a mega church in those kinds of environments, a person grows beyond a theologically, but then they try out other progressive churches and it's so different. And all of a sudden the person might think, man, I really miss the worship, right? Of the old one. I miss the quality of production. I miss the sound system. I miss the great musicians. I miss the Christian music that I'm used to, right? And and to be honest, a lot of that has to do with the budget. It just does. Like you can have this great sound system because there's a large budget. This church has a budget of $3 million. They can afford a great sound system. They can afford the great lighting. They can afford to play, pay two or three tech people to do it. They can afford to have a full-time you know, worship pastor who then leads a team. Like The budget there allows this high level of production to happen on a Sunday. And that's a hard part about old church, new church, red church, blue church is when you're coming from non-denominational evangelical-ish churches, but you're growing and evolving and becoming more progressive, it's very hard to have a sustainable form of giving financially without a conservative core at the center of the church holding it together. It's different for mainline churches, you know, progressive Presbyterians, Episcopalians, etc. It's different because those are a whole different denominational structures. 
But for people used to the mega churchy, low church, kind of, you know, whatever CCM style of worship, it's hard because sometimes for people, I feel like they're in a place where it's like, I can't do this anymore theologically, but I still like all of the stuff. And then they go to other churches and they're like, I'm more aligned theologically, but they don't have a lot of the things that I have gotten used to that I still want in my community. Has anybody who's listening ever had that kind of an experience? It's like we want, we wish the mega churches we came from with the programs and the the great snacks before and how everything's so clean and pristine and everything just is so highly produced and runs so smooth. It's like, we wish this church could stay the same, but be more progressive, be more inclusive like that. But that isn't how it always happens. There's budgets. There's, you know, if you don't have your core giving financially, you don't have, you can't pay three tech people to run it. You you can't even afford one in this more progressive church because there's 80 people there and maybe it's younger people and you just don't have that. And, That sounds trivial, but for a lot of people finding their way, different versions of that are very, very real for them right now. Even for Christine and I, when we started Imagine almost 10 years ago, I knew that without a conservative evangelical core paying the bills, you don't, it's very hard to have a church that has a traditional financial model of paying the pastor 100%, bringing on more staff full time. And we committed from the beginning Eventually, to, or eventually, we committed to raise the majority of our income outside of Imagine so we could continue to create a community with the depth and substance of who we are without worrying about the budget, right? That's so those are sacrifices we made early on. And, and it's real, you know, or people miss, you know, someone moves on, but you miss the warmth of the community you once knew. You miss the Christmas service. You miss the Easter things, right? You miss all of those things, but you can't go back, but you want parts of it and you move forward and you want parts of this, but it's also, you feel like you don't fit in. We're in between old church, new church, red church, blue church. We're saying no, we're not fully in the yes of the next thing. There's liminal spaces. And what do we do? And of course, I'm when I say church right now, I'm referring to congregations in a traditional sense, right? Like a community, a, a local pastor, a, whether it's a parish or a local church, like I'm referring to them because on one level, the church is wherever you are in, gathered in love and gathered in Christ. We're at two, where, Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name. So church is wherever you are present embodying in Christ-like way of being in the world, you know, with others. I'm sharing this to help name some of the struggle that I know and believe people go through, right? I'm not trying to get people to go back to congregations. I don't have a horse in the race right now. I'm not a pastor trying to get people to come back to my thing. If people do and it's good for them, I think that's great because I love churches that are healthy and good and thriving, but if some people say, I'm just not doing that anymore, that thing, that Sunday thing, that church thing that we all call church, that tr- traditional congregational thing, I'm if they say I'm not, I'm not ever doing that again, I'm also okay with that. Like I'm I want to be involved in the lives of both people. And 
I could name so many other of so many other the dynamics or the struggles within that. But here's a this, I didn't structure this as like here's all the entire teaching in order. I'm saying I have things in order right here, but a lot of it's just a sentence or a couple phrases, and I'm like, oh, that's a whole thing. And here's something. I offer to people when it comes to discernment and wisdom of staying in churches and leaving churches and that whole dynamic. There is a difference between having small differences within a shared framework for how you see God, Jesus, and humanity. Everybody is going to have problems and issues and differences within any church and congregation. There's just always, because it's relationships, there's always going to be differences. But there's a difference between having small differences within an overall shared framework and having a genuine lack of alignment with the identity and values of a place that you are a part of. See, if there's small differences within a shared framework of this is good, though, as a whole, it might take courage for you to stay and be a part of it. If there's a genuine lack of alignment with the identity and values of a place, it might be the thing where it requires courage to leave. Because if you participating in this church feels like I'm actually participating in some of the exclusion and damaging things that I can no longer be a part of. Well, yes, then your participation there is complicit within that because you're a part of it. So sometimes it takes courage to stay. Sometimes it takes courage to leave. Is it, are they small differences, but an overall alignment, or is it a genuine lack of an alignment and, and actually not an expression of your integrity in Christ to stay in a place that is doing harm and damage to people in a way that you see that you can no longer unsee? That to me is a helpful way to discern when it comes to thinking about staying or leaving in old churches and new churches. And here is... When I think about old churches and new churches, this is an analogy I have thought of for years. I can't even, it might have been seven to 10 years I've been thinking about this. I don't know, it could be longer. I don't even know. But when I think about old churches, when I think about conservative evangelical churches, when I think about churches that I genuinely would never be a part of, and I've had my own version of that. I'll, I'll share a story actually about that is a part of this whole thing. I may have shared it on here before. Christine and I moved back to Hawaii in 2013. And I want to say in 2010-ish, maybe, Christine and I came back to Hawaii to visit. We used to come out, still come out here a couple of times a year, even when we weren't living here, when we were in Costa Mesa. And one time when we came out here, I had heard of this church that will remain nameless that, and I knew some of our friends had gone there or, or, or visited. And it's like, it's almost from a distance. I'm like, oh, this is like a cool new church or this is a church some people go to that I know. Okay, let's go check it out on a Sunday. And I go this, I, we, we go to this church on a Sunday and it was the, the sermon I heard was ridiculous it was like, you know, spiritual warfare and demonic. And then somehow it's like Christian nationalist stuff with the military. 
And I'm like, how are they even like, what are they saying? And then in the end, they did an altar call. And after to me, what was truly a ridiculous sermon, like genuinely, like I have respect for you to have the audacity to get up there and actually say this because it's absurd. And actually for you to have the conviction to do that blows my mind. And at the end of it, they gave an altar call. And I'm like, I look back, I'm like, what are you asking people to say yes to? Like, what, how do you take this sermon and turn it into a come to Jesus moment? And when that happened, I remember, you know, they do the altar call, they're strumming in the background, they're about to go into the, the worship music at the end. And I sat in the back of that church and I had put my head down and I just started crying. And I, it's funny because I look, I think, look back and imagine there's somebody in the church who sees me and they're like, oh, another troubled young man, you know, coming to Jesus, like, praise the Lord, like, good for him. And I'm like, I am crying, but not for the reasons you probably think. And in that moment, as I was first going through massive paradigm shifts and changes and seeing very far beyond the churches and communities I had been a part of, in that moment, it was something clicked in me that said, I cannot and I will not be a part of churches like this in the future. And that just shuts off 95% of at least the churches I'm familiar with. And that will change my relationships. That will change my role because I feel called to be a pastor. This is going to change and make things in my life very difficult in some ways. But I know out of my own integrity in the spirit and in my understanding of Jesus, I cannot be a part of these churches. And I could just feel the tension of that in my future. And I just wept in this. It's liberating to say that. And it's also very scary to say that. Right. So I, I know I get this, but here's what I would say about a church like that, for example, and many other churches that I would not ever go to and churches that you may never go to again in your life. Even though my alignment and integrity would not allow me to be a part of churches like that, it doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they don't contribute any good to this world. It doesn't mean they are not doing, they're not not doing any Christ-like things in the community. Because a community, a company, any collective, but let's say for churches for right now, a church can, on a broader level, at a cultural and a systemic way, perpetuate systemic forms of oppression, marginalization, exclusion, and the church can, can perpetuate these larger issues that are damaging and at the exact same time do good things on, a, on an individual basis. So here's back to the analogy. So think about the image just of a train moving down a track. And let's say this train is moving and shipping assault rifles to some from point A to point B. So let's say they're shipping assault rifles, which, you know, are very, very dangerous and unnecessary for so many people in our country. And let's say the smoke that's coming from the train is contributing significant harm to the environment. And it's consistently done that for 50 years. And it continues to do so because they refuse to modernize in whatever way, right? I'm not an expert on trains and how that works. And let's say there's like, 
I could go on and name like they're shipping assault rifles. They're what, what they're doing is bad for the environment, right? Maybe there's a shift in how trains are working and they refuse to move forward. And now they are still causing irreparable damage to the communities that they're going through because the gas, the smoke or whatever it is leaking into there. So we, you, in this analogy, you could name a whole bunch of things. So this church or <laughs> this church, this, you know, where I'm going, this train on one level is contributing to violence. This train is a threat to the environment. This train is refusing to modernize and therefore poisoning water around them, destroying communities, or at least contributing to the, to the destruction of communities, right? However that analogy works. But also, let's say with on that train, there are loving individuals that are caring for sick people on the train. So let's say that you could have nurses and doctors on the train caring for people who need assistance. That's a good thing. This person who has a wound, and if that wound doesn't get treated, it might get infected. If it gets infected, they might not make it. So the doctors, the nurses, the people on there are caring for individuals. Let's say there's people on there who just need people to talk to. Let's say there's therapists on there and therapists these therapists do volunteer work. I'm just making this up, obviously. And they can, they say, I'm going to do one ride a week. And in that time, I'm going to for free pro bono, listen to people and uh, provide my services to people for an hour. Cause it's an hour ride each way. That's a good thing. You have people who are getting help. People who are being listened to people who might have a sense of hope for the future because they have someone listening who's a professional. So here's why that analogy is so important is while good individual things are happening on the train, the train as a whole is perpetuating larger cultural and systemic issues that are car- that are causing and reinforcing things that do damage and harm to the planet and to the communities as a whole. That is a very helpful image of how I think about churches I would not be a part of. Because I can call out and be honest about the ways I think churches are reinforcing unhealthy forms of white Christian nationalism. I can be honest about how churches are mirroring the culture's obsession with power and using any, by any, like obtaining political power by any means necessary. I can be honest about the ways in which the church is perpetuating exclusion and the psychological damage they're doing because of the exclusion. So there's these larger things, these larger forms of pain of, of, of negativity they're contributing to the world, but within those larger cultural or systemic issues they're perpetuating, there still can be individual good things happening in there. A 22-year-old kid with no direction walks into a church like that, hears a sermon that I might have issues with, because I think is problematic in some ways, but this kid comes in, hears that sermon, their heart opens up. For the first time, their heart is unguarded. They experience God for the first time. They hear about hope of a resurrection and hope of God has a plan for them, no matter what you feel about that kind of language. And this kid has a significant experience with the resurrected Christ and feels a sense of welcome for the first time in his life, which contributes to this new moment in his or her life. That's a good thing. No matter where it goes from there, eventually they're going to shape him or her in ways that are damaging. Okay, yes, that's very possible in part. But 
a person meeting the resurrected Christ, that's a good thing. A person having somebody listen to them when nobody else in the world will listen to them is a good thing. So that's how I oftentimes think about churches is they're perpetuating larger problematic things and doing good things on an individual level as well. I say that because as we move on, the churches you're moving on from, they're not Now, granted, some of them can be extremely abusive and dangerous. I'm not talking about churches like that. I just mean the conventional conservative churches that you don't want to go back to. It's like, yes, there's problematic things. You can be honest about it. But for other people and for you at one point in your life, there were good things that were happening there. And that gives us the freedom to call out the bullshit and the things that we feel are problematic, but still see the humanity and to recognize that within their current view of reality, they are true. They're loving the best way they can. And to me, you can honor that and still be honest about the larger problematic issue. So, you know, so many people right now are walking away from the church. So many people that are walking away from the church are actually walking away from a faith that is too narrow, a God who is too small, and a church that is too exclusive. They're not walking away from God per se. They're walking away from the version of God they've been handed that no longer works in the reality that we are all living in. They're not just angry at the church as a whole. They're angry at specific churches or a specific church who has done harm, abused them, caused damage, excluded people, etc. And for so many people, it's not that we don't believe in God. It's that we don't believe in the version of God that is so exclusive. It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's that we don't love the Jesus that inspires so much of the hatred and exclusion that Christianity has become known for. It's not that we're losing our faith. It's that our faith itself is making us refuse to be a part of churches that are more concerned with maintaining the status quo, obtaining power and focusing on who's in and out and obeying laws than reimagining our faith and living in love and welcome right now. People's issues today are not with religion or spirituality in general all the time. They usually have issues with immature fundamentalist forms of the faith. And when I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was challenging the people who were the most upset with Jesus, right? The teachers of the law, Pharisees, scribes, whoever was angry at the time, Jesus wasn't saying God didn't exist. Jesus wasn't saying that faith is no longer relevant. Jesus was challenging their view of God. And he was challenging their understanding of how to live faithfully before God. Even in Mark 7, 5 through 9, which is a story in a moment I love, you know, verse 5, it says, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, the genius of Jesus is he's critiquing the teachers of the law with the depth and substance of their own law. That is so genius to, to really radicalize and challenge people. You can take them deeper into the substance and depth of their own tradition. So Jesus said Isaiah was right when he prophesied 
or verse six says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Jesus kept coming along and he kept, he keeps challenging, subverting, calling people beyond their current understanding of God. He's not telling people not to believe in God. He's showing people an image of God that is fuller and more real and more beautiful and especially more faithful to their scriptures. And see that in in those moments, by challenging their view of God, he's not calling people away from God. He's actually calling them closer to God. See, Jesus was seen as a threat, not because he didn't believe in God. It's because he didn't believe in their version of God. This is one of the reasons I'll tell people that so often what feels like a loss in the foundation of your faith is actually the spirit inviting you to the future of your faith. And I know there was not a hundred percent, like usually when I do teachings, like I'm a person when I teach, there's a sense of precision to some degree, but this one was like, How do I take the energy of that conversation with my friend and bring it here the best way I can? You feel this, you experience that, you go back, you have hope in your old church and you hear something and it's discouraging and it feels like, oh, this is why I left in the first place and you're still looking for something new and it's really hard and you feel lost, but I like the worship and this is good for like me or this is good for me and my partner and we feel connected here, but then we hear the sermon and it just pisses us off and now now we have to leave, but what else, else do we leave to? Where do we go? And... For the people who experience that, that is, you are not a a, 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 a pilgrim in, in solitude when it comes to that journey and experience right now. And there are ways ahead. There is life ahead. And this is why I love churches in the traditional senses. Hopefully, I believe there will be more and more congregations that can be home for people who feel this tension, more and more congregations that feel good for people in this tension, more and more congregations that continue to preach the good news that when we go there, we're like, man, this really is good, good news. And I hope to continue to love and support and connect with and serve those kinds of churches in my life down the road. I don't know where they're always going to be at. You don't know where they're going to be, but there's a collective liminal space for so many people right now. And, you know, even that's my way of saying that experience is a lot more normal than we think right now. Obviously, especially as a mystic, the depth of Christ is available to us is for us, is with us, and continues to reveal itself as us right now, all the time. There is no place God is not. There is no place where the Spirit is more present than the others. We can wake up and experience and be aware of that which is perpetually giving itself to us at all times. You may not have the same worship experiences with the great sound system, but if you can learn to breathe deeply on a cliff it might just actually take you a little bit deeper than that. If you can learn to be present 
to the people around you. You might experience more of the substance of Christ than you know. If you can learn to wake up in those special moments and say, this is it right now. Whatever is in front of you, whatever this is, this is, this is the, this is the incarnation of Christ in this moment where divine, where the divinity and humanity, spirit and matter all meet and they're all fully present here. Every moment is incarnational. We just have to learn to develop the eye. So that's always available. I'm talking more about the community, but yes, in the, in the midst of the liminal space, there's always ways to wake up to that, which is already true. And, and I continue to, you know, want to love and support and hope for more and more of the congregations that can make people like you and people like me go there, take a deep breath and be like, this place can feel like home. And this is good news because this is good news. So I am with you. I know the journey. I hope there was some, some wisdom and some goodness and some rays of light in this in this podcast so we will talk soon maybe the next one will, I, have, I have a couple interviews that are waiting to be published another one i'm doing this week maybe i'll do some more teachings leading into christmas at the end of the year but either way may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you i think i messed that up and may the lord turn his face maybe i didn't may the lord turn his face towards you and give you peace